Yeah, this is my life. I'm done trying to convince people I'm real. Welcome to the Road to the Olympic Trials podcast, where we take an insider's look into the training and racing of some of America's best runners. And this is our second to last recap episode with one of the people we've been following all year long. This episode is with Lou Serafini. Lou is someone who in 2016 did not have the race in LA that he was hoping for. In fact, like a lot of runners that day, he ended up dropping out and that was an experience for him that has lingered. That's for sure. And coming into this race, while he had high expectations throughout 2019 and early 2020, as you'll hear in this episode, he had one and only one goal for the Olympic trials in 2020, and that was to finish. And I know that for someone of his caliber, that sounds a little bit like, yeah, okay, (laughs) you say that now, but what's your real goal? And he goes into that into this episode. And I couldn't wait to talk to Lou. He's such a uh, energetic guy and he has a wonderful perspective on so many things. And one of the things I couldn't wait to talk to him about is actually not running related or at least not his running related. And that is his work with Tracksmith. If you've seen pictures of that day or saw the broadcast, you would have seen so many people wearing the red, white, and blue Tracksmith kit that day. And that was a project that Lou has spent a lot of time on in recent months. And I couldn't wait to talk to him about just the logistical challenges of coordinating all of those runners while at the same time training and racing at a very high level. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Lou Serafini. Hello, Lou, and welcome back to the show. This is the the wrap-up episode for all things Olympic trials related. First of all, congratulations on your performance down in Atlanta. Thanks, Matt. Um, excited to be ce- celebrating a good race this week. Yeah, absolutely. And we had a chance to connect a couple weeks before the trials, and you were very candid about how you felt and the, how you were going to approach the race and so on and so forth. As the race got closer, did anything change on your end, health related strategy or anything like that? No, not really. Um, everything was kind of uh, full steam ahead going into the race. There were no last-minute injuries. The taper went well. Uh, I was feeling good. So, um, so yeah, it was it was pretty much like I said, just uh, full steam ahead going into the race. And I think right, right before or right after we spoke, you actually did set that five k PR that you were talking about. So that must have been exciting. Yeah, that was a, a huge, huge confidence boost. I just um, had kind of a slow build, I guess this winter and, and really wasn't feeling super fit. Um, or I was feeling fit, but I just hadn't like really gotten a chance to show it off yet. And, uh, it's funny, like I've, I've spent the past two, three years training for the 5k and, and haven't been able to set a PR and then step on the track training for a marathon and, and was able to get my PR by like six minutes, six seconds. So, um, <laughs> and, and feeling, feeling pretty comfortable doing it. So, so yeah, that was really exciting. And it was a, it was a great confidence boost going into the race. And you ran that in Boston. Was that at Harvard or BU? That was at BU. That was at, um, at Valentine. There was a couple, a couple guys that came down from Canada. They were trying to run a fast time and it, it just worked out perfectly for me. I just kind of like latched right on and, and let them do all the work and um, was able to finish it off nice and strong in the last 2K. So, And what was that like? I'm sure you must have had a decent crowd up there, you know, you being the hometown boy who are so, so connected with all things Boston running. Yeah, racing at BU is cool for me, for sure, for that reason. Um, 
you know, I don't know. We, we've got tons of people in our local community that are racing as well. And, and it's just cool to, to go over there and, and just be a part of all the energy. And so many people are, are going to be you to run fast times these days. Like we're seeing people that are passing on going to oversized tracks and, and coming to, to be you because it's, it's got such a great reputation. So, um, uh, it's cool for us to have it in our backyard and to be able to go and, and run PRs and then hang out and watch the, the real pros come through and, and run, you know, world leading times and set American records and stuff like that. So, uh, the energy is definitely really electric. Yeah, I saw a funny tweet after this weekend where they had another string of high-level performances uh, there where it was like, forget the shoes. I think there's a carbon plate underneath the BU track. <laughs> it's a, Have you ever run on it before? No, I haven't. It's, it's, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people listening will not have either. It's, I mean, it, it does have a similar feeling because it's just, you know, when you're, when you're running in the, um, in a carbon plated shoe, it kind of feels like you have a trampoline under your foot. Um, and that's kind of what the BU track feels like. It just has a lot of give, uh, but also a lot of energy return. So it's like you're running on a springboard kind of. Oh, how interesting. Now, so once you finished that off, obviously you were feeling good. You finally put your fitness to the test and, you know, kind of proves yourself to yourself in a matter of speaking. When you went down to Atlanta, first of all, what was the schedule like in terms of heading down there? And then we'll dive into all the stuff that you were doing with Tracksmith, which seems completely overwhelming <laughs> in retrospect. <laughs> no, uh, no. But yeah, just what, what was the schedule like getting down there? Yeah, so um, I had a great week leading up. Um, I was able to kind of work from home um, for a couple of days before I left for Atlanta. Um, and then uh, my girlfriend Gabby was in the race as well. Uh, and she had a, a class that she had to be at on Thursday afternoon. So we didn't leave until Thursday night. So I'd be lying if I if I said that I wasn't uh, a little bit nervous <laughs> uh, when I was sitting home in Boston on, on Wednesday and Thursday, there's just like so much media buzz about the race. And um, I was getting super, super antsy just to get down there. But um, I think in a lot of ways, it was a blessing to just kind of get down there a little bit later um, and just kind of like be away from all that nervous energy. Um, so we got down there on Thursday night and uh got checked into the hotel i tried to like scoot over to the uh the alpha fly room and get a pair of those shoes so i could wear them on my shakeout run the next day but they were unfortunately just closing um as i as i got there but uh but yeah we got a we got a good night's sleep on thursday and uh woke up and and all of a sudden we were like right in the middle of all the energy and all the activity um and and it was just a really electric, cool environment. Actually, one one story that I will share, which is just like a nod to the Atlanta Track Club and how an, much of an incredible job they did this weekend. Um, we rolled in and the hospitality suite was closed. And uh, one of the guys recognized me um, and he let us go and pick up our race packets that night, um, even though the suite was closed. So that was just like really nice. It was like one less thing. I was a little nervous about like all the things I had to do on Friday. And it was just like one, one less thing to do. So they did such a good job of just like making our lives easy and, and making all of us feel like professionals. So now, just from an energy perspective in and around Atlanta, you, know, you are, as I just mentioned, very well ingrained in the Boston running scene, not only as an elite athlete, but with all your work with Tracksmith and you know, running, you know, working with athletes as coaches and, and things along those lines. How would you compare the energy surrounding the trials to what you've seen uh, with the Boston Marathon? 
Oh, um, well, I definitely felt a lot like a marathon major in a lot of ways. Um, you know, Boston's, I, I think they, they share some similarities because like both races are a race that you have to qualify for, um, you know, but to, to run Boston, you need to, you need to qualify and, um, same as the Olympic trial. So, um, it definitely has that, you know, that feeling of excitement where like, even if you're, even if you're not in the best shape, you're just like so happy to be there because you earned a spot on that starting line. So there was just a lot of like really positive energy the entire weekend, I felt, um, which, you know, is something that I really feel is, is similar with Boston. You know, everyone gets into town and they're just really excited to be at the Boston Marathon and, and um, to pick up their bib and, and, and go do the race. And, and that's kind of what the trials felt like. And it was it was cool for me because I had I had been to the trials already in 2016 and I, you know, knew everything that I did wrong <laughs> at that race. So it was, it was easy for me to, to kind of like be the experienced one and, um, talk to some of the other people that were in our program that hadn't been to the trials before and, um, and just really encouraged everyone that I talked to to just soak up the, the atmosphere and the experience as much as possible. Um, a lot of, met a lot of families down there and a lot of friends. I just like could not believe how many people made the trip to Atlanta. Um, it was like every, everyone I talked to, uh, was like, Oh yeah, I'll be down there. Like, Oh, we'll be cheering you on. Like, and I was like, Oh, you're, you're going just to watch. Um, so I definitely had that like marathon major feel where, uh, there wasn't really a dead spot on the course. Like the crowd support was, was incredible. Um, someone told me that the, uh, I think it was the same guy that let us pick up our packets. Uh, Chris Hollis told us that the, the police, the Atlanta police estimated that there were, I think 200,000 people out cheering. So um, pretty incredible. That's like what you hear about, like for like championship parades, like the Red Sox win, like, you know, the world series and, you know, they do the, the duck boats and how many people go out to see the parade. Like those are the kind of numbers you'd expect to hear. Yeah. And I, I like expected it to be crazy, but I, I just, I did not, I don't know. I just, I was having trouble visualizing it and it just, it really just was like, Every every couple of, of minutes, I would see somebody that I knew out on the course, and it, and it really helped the race go by a little bit quicker. So one thing that I'm sure many people noticed, either during the race or maybe even before, because it got a certain amount of publicity, and I felt like everybody who ran the race put out some sort of image of their race kit you know, the day before, was the, the Tracksmith kit that, that I felt like a third of the runners were wearing during the race. <laughs> Talk to me about that process because I know, you know, while you were preparing for your own race and you have, you know, big goals and you'll continue to have big goals in, in the running way, you know, in, in running, this was another big part of what was, you know, you know, part of your life. And just tell me about that process and, and how a company like Tracksmith, which obviously is well known within the industry, is not like a household name, say nationwide or internationally, gets to the point where you're able to have your kit on so many high level runners. Yeah. So, um, that was like probably the, one of the most special parts about the whole weekend for us as a brand and, and for me personally, um, about a year, a little over a year ago, we did, we decided that it'd be cool to support some runners at, uh, at the Olympic marathon trials. And it was, it was really an idea that we've, you know, we've had for a very long time. Um, I remember back in 2016, um, there were just so many runners that were wearing the Brooks ID kit and the Saucony Hurricane kit. And uh, it, it was something that I, I kind of actively uh, talked about with, with my boss here. It's something that would be cool to do. And, um, and we kind of like landed to the point where like, 
you know, it fits right in with the brand philosophy of supporting amateur runners. Um, and, and so in, rather than trying to sponsor someone who was going to go finish in the top five or top 10 by like, you know, giving them a contract or something like that, obviously having someone finish in the top five would have been pretty cool. Um, but, uh, we, we figured, you know, like, let's go out and create a program that, the other 90% of the field can, can be a part of, um, and, and try to give support to some of those runners. Cause I know me personally, like before I was even running for tracksmith, um, and working for tracksmith, like it's hard to get support. Um, you know, when you're a, when you're a 218 marathoner or a 244 marathoner, like you're, you're at pretty much the highest level that you can get to in your country, but, um, it's really tough to get any, any level of support. So, um, so yeah, so we launched this OTQ program and we gave out uh, a $250 quarterly stipend to all of our runners, um, for gear. And then we also partnered with Linden. Linden times two, uh, Des and Ryan's company to do coffee, uh, each quarter for all the runners as well. And we ended up, we ended the program, uh, with 138 runners, um, wow. officially. Yeah. That so is it, way it, more than I thought you guys were going to get. I just, cause you know, <laughs> shoot, I mean, not that you guys weren't popular, but I'm just so, so surprised that it drew such a crowd. Yeah, it was wild. Like it just kept kind of, so this is, this is one of my big projects last year. I was, I was managing the program and, um, you know, every week I would go in and check and see if we had more applications and it was just like, it wasn't like an ever like overwhelming, but it was just kind of like, Oh, yep. We got a couple more this week. We got a couple more this week. And then, you know, after like a big race, we'd get like a big chunk, like after grandma's, we'd get like 15 or 20 or after like the indie marathon, we'd get like 15 or 20, um, and yeah, it, would, it it got to the point where I was like kind of tracking it uh, in line with the number of qualifiers that there were for the trials. And it was always kind of like, you know, 10 to 15%. And I was like, that's pretty cool. And I, I wonder if we could get as much as 20. Um, so like in the fall leading up to CIM, we, we kind of did another little push, little marketing push to just kind of make sure it was out there and people knew about it. And, um, after CIM, we, we got another big chunk of qualifiers and, uh, and yeah, so un unofficially I went through and, and just kind of like combed the results and we had, um, I forget the exact percentage of men's finishers. I think it was about 13% of all the men's finishers. And then it was, it was exactly 20% of all the women's finishers. So one in five, and then total, it was 17.8% of all the finishers total. So, um, so we were, we were thrilled with how it, how it turned out, you know, um, we've got a, a pretty small team here still, but everyone worked really hard on the project to make sure it came together. Um, getting the uniforms <laughs> to Atlanta on time with all of like the coronavirus stuff going on was a logistical nightmare. Um, so like the runners in the program didn't even get their uniforms until race weekend. Um, but they came out absolutely beautifully. Uh, the design, the design team worked really hard on it, and uh, we we tried to source like the best possible like race material, and we got a, a lot of really good feedback from those. So, um, so yeah, it was a lot of fun, and we're the the office has been buzzing this week, um, just about our presence in Atlanta and, and some of the things that we can do going forward to keep supporting the amateur. Um, you know, the people that work a full-time job, but are still setting these really big lofty goals and trying to make it to the next level. Cause, um, cause we just had such a great time, like meeting all of these runners and 
we actually like we had pretty high finishes too. Um, Kira D'Amato uh, finished fifteenth overall uh, in the women's race. She ran a PR or close to a PR. She ran two thirty four, and then um, Chris, uh, I think it's Milgaris. I'm probably like butchering the pronunciation of his last name, but he was thirty third um, and also almost PR'd. He ran two sixteen. So um, just through supporting these amateur athletes, we we ended up with having some some really big presence at at the at the front of the field. Um, you know, even people like Roberta Groner, who didn't have the best day, she was she was up in the front for a long time, and um, it's really just inspiring to, to see all these different stories um, and and just like read about these people's lives and what they do uh, to commit themselves to training. So. Well, I commend you on it. I mean, obviously, that's my world. You know, my my other podcast, The Rambling Runner, is you know completely dedicated to the dedicated amateur runner, and you know, I think it's there's a lot of power in that because oftentimes, and I think running is is the rare sport where just because someone is a dedicated amateur runner doesn't mean that they follow professional running, which is like you don't find that in any other sport. However, they might follow other amateurs and create this either in person and or digital support network, which is, again, just so unique to our sport. So I commend you on doing it. I actually talked to Roberta last night, and that episode is going to come out a couple of days before this one. So let's talk about your race. Now, you mentioned that you were going to go out that, as opposed to L.A. in 2016, that you were going to be as conservative as you could be while still trying to have a really good race. So what was that like for you in terms of execution, especially, say, early on? Yeah, it was the so that was the plan and and I think I did a really good job of that. Um I kind of found myself at the back of the lead pack um for the first mile. The first mile was pretty slow. Um the leaders kind of took it out on the slower side and then the second mile was downhill and uh I started to lose contact with the lead pack, which was fine. I wasn't trying to run with them. Um and I looked down at my watch and we were running like 450 pace and they were like gapping me. And I was like, okay, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna let them go and try to try to find a little pack to work with. And, um, and yeah, I look over my right shoulder, uh, right around like two mile and a half, two miles into the race, probably about a mile and a half into the race. And, uh, it was my roommate of about three, two, three years. Um, Johnny Phillips, who still lives in Boston, lives and trains in Boston. Um, and, uh, I turned over at him to him and I was like, Oh, this is like the exact person that I was hoping to run into. Um, we gave each other a fist bump and we kind of just, we ended up running together for almost 20 miles of the marathon. It was, it was a really special moment. Um, it wasn't really like a pre-race plan for us to go out and work together. We just kind of like ended up together. Um, Johnny, uh, ran for Cornell and then did a fifth year at Michigan and has just kind of been improving ever since, uh, at the marathon distance. He actually went out and ran a huge PR. Uh, he ran 217 and PRing on that course was pretty, pretty wild. So, um, but yeah, early on him and I just did a really good job of keeping each other in check. Um, there were a lot of moments where he would start to kind of like inch away from me and I'd be like, nope, nope, not yet, not yet. And then there were a lot of moments where, uh, I would away from him and he would he would tell me to chill and um it was a super windy day so um he he more than i was really good about just making sure that we took turns blocking the wind um we had a couple other people in our pack as well that we were working with but um having him out there was just like such an asset and definitely kind of helped make the race for me so 
it must provide a, just a nice uh, comforting feeling for you, especially in a race like that, where it'd be really easy for you to have your emotions either get carried away, you know, positive or negative, depending on how the race was going. Yeah, definitely. And um, I like to think that I've like gotten to the point where I'm, I'm pretty experienced and I, I know how to keep you know, keep positive when things aren't going well. It's happened to me so many times in the, in the distance, but, um, but yeah, having him there definitely made it a hell of a lot easier. Um, and I'd say we, I mean, we executed really well. Like we were basically just clicking off, um, five ten, five fifteens, And it was, it was tough to really measure the pace because the hill, the course, it was like just full of Hills. So, you know, we'd have miles that were five thirties and then we'd have miles that were five flats, you know, it was just, it was really back and forth, but, um, we came through halfway in about one Oh eight, 10. And I, I know I personally felt really, really easy. And I, I remember how I felt in New York. Uh, I think we came through about 40 seconds faster than that in New York. And I, I remember thinking like, okay, like I feel good. Like I don't feel great, but I feel good. And, um, on Saturday we came through half and I was like, I feel great. Um, and I turned to Johnny and I was like, we're gonna, we're, we're gonna negative split this race. And, um, we get to the final turnaround point. So around like 16 miles, sorry, and entering the final loop, I should say. And I just started to feel some little niggles in my calf again, um, similar to New York. Um, but it wasn't like, wasn't serious yet, but I was like, I hope this doesn't become an issue. So I just kind of tried to, you know, run controlled and, and I, I still felt fine, like physically, um, but yeah, we, we made that final turnaround on Peachtree. So when, when you're heading back uphill, um, so going towards the 18 mile mark and, uh, that was when I started to kind of feel the wind and the muscle cramping a little bit more. And I kind of had to manage it again, similar to New York. And, um, it became a little bit of like survival mode from 22, 22 miles on, um, you know, whoever designed that course is definitely sadistic. Like it was just <laughs> it was relentless, you know, like every time you wanted a break, there was a gust of wind. And, and every time, uh, you needed a flat stretch, there was another uphill. Um, it was just really relentless and impossible to kind of find a rhythm out there, which made it harder to, you know, to navigate the last couple of miles. But, um, like I have been saying to everyone since, since day one, my only goal was to finish the race. So, um, you know, I, I did, I worked with Julian Henniger for a lot of it, uh, the last couple of miles and, and we worked together and we, and we got it done. And, um, I'm, I'm just like incredibly proud of my time and, um, you know, the fact that I finished the race and obviously I had, you know, slightly higher expectations for myself. I, I would have loved to have, you know, actually negative split and gone and run 215 and finished in the top 30. I think, you know, that race was there for sure. I felt it in my legs and I was feeling good. Um, but, uh, I still got to figure out the muscle cramping thing. I think I've got it narrowed down to hydration. <laughs> we'll see in the next marathon when I do it. Um, but um, it's definitely going to be a focus. The next training cycle is just kind of figuring out why that happens. But, um, but it was just such an inspirational day. And, um, you know, I work with, um, Molly Seidel's sister. So, you know, seeing her qualify and make the team was just absolutely inspiring and incredible. And, um, I'm just, I can honestly say I don't think I have been this motivated to, to train since I was trying to break four two years ago. I'm just like super fired up from the race and, and, and excited for, for what's next.
Now, you just posted a picture this morning, right? This morning, like about an hour ago on Instagram, a picture of you just after crossing the finish line. Your hands are over your face and you're talking about, you know, the future and what you hope it holds. With that said, when you when that picture was snapped, what were the emotions going through your head? I was just so happy to to cross the finish line. Like uh, it's been four long years of thinking about LA and not finishing that race. Um, it was it was like really really hard, and um, you know I, I thought about it for a long time, and you know I, I was very very vocal when people would ask me what my goal was, and honestly the goal is just to cross the finish line. So um, seeing the finish line and, and getting across was just like a very special moment. Um, that I'll definitely never forget. And and I know there'll be, there'll be happier moments of me crossing the finish line, better races and better results, but uh, that I'll never forget my first Olympic trials finish will be that one. Um, so, so that was, that was really, really special. I will say though, <laughs> um, they didn't have finishers medals, which was kind of a bummer because that was one of the things I was looking forward to. Uh, I've been like pretty um, transparent about that. I, I didn't get a finishers medal in LA and it was hard for me to see everyone walking around with them. And I was like, oh, I'm going to get that medal in, in Atlanta. But they only uh, they only did medals for the top three. So um, luckily, um, not to uh, plug Tracksmith again, we did we did some nice commemorative finishers posters. So um, I have a, a nice poster with my place stamped on it um, that I'll that I'll get framed and, and put up in my apartment. But um, but yeah, it was just it was such a great moment. Um, I was glad that that Justin Britton was there to to capture it. Now moving forward, because you've already brought it up on your own um, with that post is. You know, you obviously you you need some recovery after this, and you had New York, and then you did um, Club Cross in December, and then here you are like kicking butt again in January and February. What is the short term and long term goals for you moving forward? Yeah, so short term, I I'm feeling really excited about um, the potential of trying to qualify for the outdoor track trials. Um, so that's going to be the main goal uh, for the spring. Um, I'll probably take most of March just to chill. I actually feel really good this week. It's the least sore I've ever felt after a marathon. I don't know. I'm not really sure why, but I am, I, you know, feel like if I wanted to, I could go out and run without any pain right now or very minimal pain. Uh, but I'm going to take a couple more days just to chill and then, um, probably about a week to just run with no workouts and then, uh, we'll start building back towards that. So it'll be a short season, um, just because, uh, April is very busy, uh, from a work perspective. We, we do a lot with the Boston and London marathon. So I'll be traveling to London for that and I'll be working pretty hard in Boston, but then come May, um, I'll have a couple opportunities to go race and, um, hope, hopefully we'll, we'll get a nice 5k rust buster and then go out, uh, probably to Portland for Portland track fest and try to run a 10k, um, as close to, as close to 28 as I can, I think re realistically, so the auto is 28 flat. I think realistically, I, I don't see any reason why I can't run under 2820, which, which would put me on the bubble for sure to, to go, um, to track trials, but I'm going to see what happens with my fitness. I, I think that this indoor season, I, I felt like I could go out and run 68s all day long, which would be 2820. So, um, 
So we'll see what happens. That's going to be the short term goal, though, and um, I'm going to give it all that I have to try to to try to be be in Eugene in June. It's it's always been a dream of mine to run at Hayward Field. I've I've never been lucky enough to qualify to run there. Uh, the only time I ever qualified for nationals, I qualified twice: once in the 10K recently, and then once. Um, when I was in college for junior nationals, but both those times they were at uh, Drake University. Um, so I, I didn't get to go out to Hayward Field. So so that's also been a dream of mine. So we'll, we'll give it a shot. And then I think longer term, um, I am still pretty fired up about the marathon. Um, like I kind of mentioned earlier, I think I'm like really close to to figuring out how to get through those later miles. And I, I think it's a hydration thing. Um or something like that, but um, I would really love to go and chase a time. Uh, I feel like New York and this past course were pretty tough courses, and I, I felt like I left, you know, probably a two fourteen or a two fifteen out there on both courses. So I'd, I'd love to see if I can go to you know like a Chicago or a CIM or um, a faster course and, and take a stab at running like two twelve. So um, so that's a little bit longer term. I don't know if that'll be this fall or maybe next spring or the following fall. But um, I really definitely am going to take the next four years to make sure that when I get on the line at trials in 2024, I won't be second guessing myself and I'll, and I'll be ready to go out and um, hopefully compete with the lead pack and try to, you know, um, you know, make, make some of my own magic. So we'll see. <laughs> Well, Lou, thank you so much for sharing your journey with us. It's been a pleasure getting to know you and to to be right here as you uh, progress throughout the entire year. Yeah, thanks for taking the time to share my story. And um, I I really do appreciate it. I I know that uh, there's a lot of people out there that work hard and, um, you know, I don't know, just, just doing the amateur support program with Tracksmith and, and just listening to your podcast and hearing all these different stories from all these different runners is, is honestly what inspires me to, to keep training and doing my thing. So, uh, keep doing what you're doing. I think it's, it's incredible for the sport and, um, I'm really excited to, uh, to keep, keep moving it forward with you over the next couple of years. Thank you, Lou. I really appreciate it. And we'll be resetting the roster as we get ready for the track trials and I'm excited to uh, to keep this going because the popularity around this podcast and just this whole process is a uh, is a little overwhelming. It's it just really is exciting to follow along as people try to pursue their dreams. Couldn't agree more. Thanks again, Matt. Lou, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was so much fun, as are all of my conversations with Lou. Thank you so much for listening to this show. We have a couple more episodes with the marathon before we dive into the track trials first week of april that's right first week of april it's going to be a blast we got jared ward coming up i'm actually interviewing him tomorrow morning uh we also have another episode with julia conan julia is not someone that we followed all year but she finished top 10 in the race and i couldn't wait to talk to her and then we have one more episode after that with sarah ibbotson and then we will be diving into the track trials so exciting i'm finishing up the roster now of the athletes we're going to be following the women are all set. That side of the roster is all done. We've got two men on board and looking to add two more, and it should be finalized very, very soon. So thank you so much for rating, reviewing, and listening to the show, sharing it as well. And once we dive into the track trials, it'll have a whole new crew of people to get excited about and to follow, and it's just going to be so much fun. Thank you so much, and happy running.
This has been a production of the Rambling Runner Podcast Network. Thank you to my producer, David Margetti, from InPost Media. Also, thank you to MetaP for the music and his song, Evolution. Real versions.